Well, growing up, uh, one of the things that I hated about television in the 70s and 80s is that many times when a show would come to the end, these words would come up, the most horrible words ever, to be continued. And many shows would do this, and you would have to wait until the next day, or you would have to wait sometimes an entire week before you would actually find out what happened with that episode. And I think the one that I hated the most was Batman. Because on Batman, they always left you with a cliffhanger at the very end, and then they would pause it, and it would come up on the graphics, something like this. Tune in tomorrow, same bat time. What's it say? Same bat channel. And I hated that, because you always had to wait. Now, because of all of the streaming services that we have, we don't have to wait for anything. We could actually watch an entire series. We could binge watch anything that we want. We could do any episode again and again and again. We can have anything that we want right now. And because of that, we become spoiled with the now. I want it now, I can have it now, I'm going to take it now. Now, I see this with texting when it comes to my three wonderful women in my life, my wife and my two daughters. They'll text back and forth with someone, and if someone doesn't respond to them immediately, like in the now, they'll come up and they'll ask me this question, do you think they're mad at me? Do you think they're mad at me? And I said, well, when did you text them? They said, oh, about a minute ago. No, I don't think they're mad at you. Okay. And the issue is, is that they're like, well, if they're my good friends, if they're, if they're really close to me, they'll respond immediately. They'll respond now, in the moment, now. We're so conditioned to want things now that it's really difficult for us to actually think about tomorrow. In fact, we see this in our relationships. We see this with the way that we care for our bodies or we don't care for our bodies. But perhaps the area that we see it the most is when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our money. I did some research this week and I found uh, that when it comes to Americans, 64% of us live paycheck to paycheck. In other words, three out of every four of us just make it from one week or two weeks to the next week or two. Now, I realize that if you're a single parent and you have two or three kids, like just being able to get to that point is a huge accomplishment. Maybe you're not getting paid what you deserve. And so just being able to get food on the table, if you're a single parent, a couple of kids, it's a challenge. It's a struggle. I get that. I understand it. But let's face it, that there are many people who are here today in the auditorium, and there are many people on the stream right now that you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. The problem is, though, in our thinking that we want to deal with everything now. We want it now, and we don't plan for tomorrow. You know, I've been so grateful for this series 
because it's always a challenge for me to teach on finances, but one of the things that I found in this series is that many people have said, you know what, uh, this has really been helpful for me, making changes. And Chris, I want to make changes with my finances. I want to make some changes because I'm so sick and tired, sick and tired of struggling regularly with my finances. And so we talked about this. And in week one, we said less is more. That one hand, or better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So uh, everybody, uh, let's say that phrase after me, less is more, one, two, three, less is more. The second week we talked about stress is bad. Financial stress is bad. So everybody, stress is bad. One, two, three, stress is bad. And then finally, uh, in week three, last week, we talked about giving is good. That it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So let's say giving is good, everybody. Giving is good. And today, what I want to talk about is tomorrow matters. Tomorrow really matters. It's not just about today, the now, but we want to think about tomorrow because tomorrow matters. Now, let's put all four of these together. I know you can do it. Everybody in the balcony too. Everyone on the stream. It's more fun when we all join along. Starting in the upper left-hand quadrant, let's just say these together. One, two, three. Less is more. Stress is bad. Giving is good. And tomorrow matters. Folks, when we recognize that tomorrow matters, it will actually change the way that we live today. And that's our big idea for this morning. You can write it in, or if you're on the app, you can go ahead and uh, type that in. When we recognize that tomorrow matters, it'll change the way that we live today. You know, when you recognize that tomorrow matters, it actually changes the way we handle our money. In fact, let me just share with you a couple of verses that will kind of illustrate this about tomorrow matters. The first one's in Proverbs 21, verse 20, and it says this, the wise have wealth and luxury. What do fools do? Let's all say it out together. Fools do what? But fools spend whatever they get. Let's say that again. But fools spend whatever they get. Now, in the Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, when this is translated, what it's translated to is they live paycheck to paycheck. That's a joke, folks. That's not really the way that it's translated, okay? Um, No, no, no. Uh, But what happens? Fools spend whatever they get, but Wise people keep some. Fools spend whatever they get. Wise people actually keep some. They keep some for themselves. Then in Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verses 6 and 8, and this kind of makes me laugh when you think about it, uh, Solomon, who's considered the wisest person of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, when he is uh, writing, he writes this uh, these couple of verses, and in the midst of it, he's kind of a smart aleck. He kind of has an edge to him. And this is what he says in uh, verse 6 of chapter 6. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. 
Don't you like that word, sluggard? I mean, I want to call somebody that sometime. I'd like to just come up to them and just say, you sluggard, you know? So if I can't, maybe you could tell the person. So turn to the person beside you. Just tell them in the nicest voice, you sluggard, okay? Yeah, you sluggard. Now, we don't want to be called a sluggard, but, uh, you know, sometimes we look at other people's lives and they're a sluggard. It says this, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider his ways and be wise. Then it goes on to say, it has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, but what does the ant know? The ant knows that winter is coming. The ant knows that tomorrow is coming. The ant realizes tomorrow is coming. Go to the ant, he says, and what does the ant do? It stores its provision in summer, and it gathers its food at the harvest. What does the ant know? The ant knows that tomorrow matters. Tomorrow matters. So from this, we learn that to be wise, if we're going to be wise, we have to save, we have to maybe invest. We need to save, we need to invest. Now, a quick question for you real quick. How do we make money? How do we make money? Well, first of all, people make money, right? People make money. How do we know that? Well, you work 40 or 50 or some of you maybe more hours a week. And after you work, you get a paycheck. And two weeks comes and you get that. And people make money. But let me tell you a better way to make money. Not people making money, but the better way is this. Money making money. When you get to that point, money making money, that's when it's really, really good. You take some money and you invest it. That's what we have to do with it if we want money to make money. You invest it and then you just watch that money making money. Now, I'm going to state the obvious right now. I'm sure many of you know this already, but I am not an investment specialist, okay? I'm not. I'm not a financial planner. This is what I am, though. I am a pastor, and the one thing that I would encourage all of you to do if you haven't signed up for it yet, to be a part of our financial peace class. And you could learn some investment strategies, And it's going to take place this Wednesday, 6 o'clock, at the Ministry Center. And it could change your life. And what are you going to learn? First of all, no one's going to judge you. No one's going to put you down. But you're going to learn how to get out of debt. You're actually going to learn maybe what insurance you could buy. You're going to learn how to plan for your retirement. And then finally, you're going to learn some solid principles on how to invest. So... For the rest of our time, what I want to do is I want to talk about some investment strategies that are biblical. Very general, but things that you could be a part of. Not specific. I'm not going to tell you what to invest in because that would be dangerous, both on your side and mine, for me to do that. But what I want to do is give some biblical kind of principles. And here's the first one, and it's your next fill-in. Don't invest in things that you don't understand. Never invest in anything that you don't understand. 
Proverbs 24, 3 says this, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding is established. In other words, if you want to build a house, you have to have some wisdom. And in the same way, if you want to build some wealth in your life, you've got to have some wisdom. And it goes on to say this, Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. We must understand, before we invest in anything, we've got to understand what it is we're actually investing in. We've got to understand it. Several years ago, a friend of mine uh, who was doing very well, kind of middle class, he uh, actually was like, hey, I want, I want to have my own business. I want to gain my own business. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, several years later, he actually got into a business. A guy came to him and told him, um, I think you could make a lot of money on the fruit basket making business. You make fruit baskets and then you sell them. And the guy told him, you know, this is a great season to do that. It was in October. And so they spent a whole bunch of money. He he did most of his 401k. The guy who talked to him was the managing partner. He was the one who put up all the money. My friend did. But this other guy who had the idea uh, was the one that was going to manage it for him. Well, they started out in October. They got all of this fruit. They were killing it. And then, you know, Thanksgiving comes, and that's awesome, too. They were just killing it. Fruit baskets going everywhere. They started hiring people. They couldn't get rid of them enough. Christmas came. It got even better. And then January came, and it wasn't, you know, quite as good as Christmas, but not so bad. And then February came, and guess what? On Valentine's Day, folks, nobody buys fruit baskets. Nobody buys a fruit bowl. No one says, hey, babe, I love you. Here's a fruit basket. You know what I mean? Like, you would get crumbled. And then March got worse in April, and and then it just got bad and bad. And two years later... My friend lost a whole bunch of his 401k business, or of his 401k, and the business went bankrupt. And this was the thing. He didn't understand. That guy was about selling fruit, but that guy that he was talking to was actually a fruitcake. (laughs) Because he didn't have a business plan, and my friend didn't understand what he was doing, and he lost a huge part of his 401k. Because he got sucked into investing in something that he didn't understand. You know, when you don't understand something, folks, it's very, very hard for you to explain it. And if you can't explain it and you don't understand it, this is my advice. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because some of the best investments are the ones that you don't make. Let me say that again. Some of the best investments you'll ever have is the ones that you don't make. Here's the second principle. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. How many of you ever heard that from a grandma or, you know, an aunt or an uncle, someone older or wiser? Yeah, yeah. You know know why grandma says that? Because grandma's wise. She's very wise. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And scripture speaks to this as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 2, says this. Divide your investments among many places. Why? For you do not know what risk might lie ahead. We're going to spread out 
our investments over time, it's actually the economic term is called we're going to diversify what we have. And what does that mean? We're not going to put all of our money into a fruit basket making business. Okay, you're not going to do that. And we're not going to put all of our money into stocks or bonds or real estate. We're going to spread it out and learn so we don't get burnt because we didn't put all of our eggs in one basket. So what do we know? First of all, what we know is we don't invest in anything that we don't understand. If you don't understand it, don't invest in it. Don't, I don't care if it's your, your parent or your brother or your sister, your closest friend. If you don't understand it, nah, I'm not going to do it. And then secondly, we're not going to put all of our eggs in one basket. We're not going to invest everything in just one thing. And then finally, the third thing, and where I want to spend most of our time this morning, is this, and it's don't get rich quick. Don't think that you'll get rich quick. Don't fall into get-rich-quick schemes. You know, this is one of the biggest dangers that I think Americans have because all of us think, well, they hit it big, I can hit it big too. And Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers, had an apprentice, a guy by the name of Timothy, that he spoke into his life. And one day, he told him this. He said, those who want to get rich, what happens to them? What's it say? It says, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Folks, when men get greedy, when women get greedy, they are no longer able to be objected. When this happens, they become very vulnerable to the evil one, and what he does is he will lure them off a path of pursuing Christ. Now, the reason I know this is because several years ago this happened to me. Uh, growing up, I've always kind of been a tightwad, which I shared a few weeks ago, but I've always been intrigued with the market and finances, mutual funds, that kind of stuff, and so um, I got involved in it very early on, and, and once we got our money working uh, the right way, uh, we saw money making money. Well, one thing I'd never really uh, been a part of, though, was real estate. Like, you could see numbers, but I never got to see actually something. And so a friend of mine came to me and talked to me about some condominiums that they were going to build outside of Cincinnati in an area called Westchester. It's very similar uh, to Fisher's Exit 210. And uh, the kicker was, if you put an amount of money in, they said in two years you could double that amount of money. And I was thinking to myself, man, this is going to be great. I'm not going to do it all because I've learned about diversifying, but I'm going to take a little bit of money. We're going to put some in there, and it's going to double in two years. And Ryan Holmes was a part of this, and they were building the condominiums, and everything was going great. And then 2008 happened. Anybody remember 2008? 2008, the banking crisis came, and I lost everything in that investment. I didn't have anything, and the condos never, ever got built. And you know why that all happened? Because I was greedy. 
I had that thought, I could do this in just a couple of years. You, you do this and they build it and your money doubles in two years. And I was greedy and I didn't understand the risk of real estate. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, any of you ever heard of crypto? Yeah. So this friend of mine, he heard about crypto. He's like, man. This is going to be great. And so like he, he got all this money and put it in crypto. And you know, immediately crypto went up. You're like, woohoo! And then what happened to crypto? It crypt out, right? Like it went to nothing. And, and this guy thought he was going to hit it big. He's like, I'm going to hit it big. I'm going to get hit it big. And you know why? He did get hit. He got hit by his wife. <laughs> and men especially, I just need to tell you, because we tend to be sprinters. We tend to want to win and provide and give, and we have this sense that we want to hit, hit it big. But we have to remember that the best investments are not sprinter investments, but marathon investments. And we're not going to be sprinter investors, we're going to be marathon investors. We're not going to be about how to hit it quick, we're going to actually be about thinking about the long term. In fact, this is very scriptural too. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 11 says this, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers it, how? How do we gather it? What's it say? Little by little, little by little. Little by little makes it grow. Little by little, little by little, little by little, all of you in the balcony, little by little makes it grow. Let me share a little formula with you this morning that I really believe that if you'll be faithful and diligent to this formula, over time, you can actually create wealth. Because wealth is not a bad thing when you use it to do good things, right? Wealth is not a bad thing at all. Sometimes rich people get really, you know, put down, and sometimes they should because they they aren't doing good things with it. But if a person's wealthy and they're doing good things with it, that's great. You see, wealth is not a bad thing when you use it to actually do good things. You see, wealth is only bad when you keep it to yourself and you never give it away and you're selfish with it. Or wealth is bad when you do, you use it with bad intentions. But when you can use your wealth for good things, for the kingdom to grow, it's one of the best gifts. So this is a little formula. Money plus consistency plus time equals wealth. Money plus consistency plus time equals wealth. If we just put a little bit aside out of each paycheck, not a huge amount, just a little bit, if we invest in it consistently over time, and, and even just a marginal, just a decent kind of investment, money plus consistency plus time equals wealth. Now, I shared a couple of weeks ago that when my wife Jennifer and I first got married, we were not very good with money, and we got in huge credit card debt. So much so that we couldn't pay the minimum monthly payments on our credit card bills. And so we had to invite somebody that was wiser than us, a friend of ours who was an accountant, to come in 
and he actually started to help us to understand money and developing budgets. And he gave to us a plan that I'm telling you, it has revolutionized our marriage, our life. And it's a very, very easy plan, and it's called the 10-10-80 plan. And basically what it is, is that whenever God gives you a paycheck, because everything's his, at the very top, you just give 10% to him for the local church, for the things of God that you can see working, for things like the community basket, which on Thursday night, we served over 250 people, tons of things going out. How does that happen? Because people are generous and they give. Then the second 10%, you actually save, you pay yourself. You're paying everybody else, why not pay yourself? You pay yourself, you save, you invest, and then the last 80%, you live off. And so when we first got married, though, we were so much in trouble that our plan looked like this, 5095. We gave 5% to God, we saved absolutely nothing, and we lived off 95%, and we lived in debt because of the way we had spent money, so we had to pay a lot of creditors in the midst of that. And what we soon learned was that if we trusted God and we gave 1% each, we would work our way to finally we got to the plan, the 10 10 80 plan. And for the last 20 years, we have lived on this plan. And I'm telling you, the plan has never failed us. You give, you invest, you live off the rest. You give, you invest, you live off the rest. Folks, this little plan, I'm telling you, has saved us so much hurt and pain over time. And there are many areas of my life that I cannot say that, but this is one thing that I would tell every single one of you, that I would hope that you would live this plan like I have. This 10-10-80 plan that you give, you save, you invest, and you live off the rest. And it's not because I want something from you. It's actually I want something for you, for your tomorrow, because tomorrow matters. Now, parents, all of you that are parents, uh, everyone look up here because you're going to want to know how to do this. You want your kids to handle their money well when they become adults, right? Like, that's one of your greatest desires. Why? So you don't have to help them anymore. You don't want to have to, like, when they're 30, 40, 50, you know, still paying for them. So you got to teach them young. So when our girls were five years old, we started a little thing with canisters that we had gods, and then we had save and spend. Three little canisters that they both have in their rooms today, and we taught them the 10-10-80 plan. And whenever they get money or they get an allowance, whatever they get, they learn how to do that. And they're learning to do money God's way, and they're learning that tomorrow actually matters. Now, folks, we live in a country right now where it's extremely difficult economically. It's a tough season. All of us, every single one of us, has been impacted by it. But this is what I want to encourage you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Those of you on the stream, don't give up. It's best to do your money God's way when you're struggling because when you can do it God's way, then when there are good seasons, you tend to continue to trust in him at that point. 
You commit to doing it God's way, and you watch as how he steps in and he helps with your needs. Because when you recognize that less is more and stress is bad and giving is good and tomorrow matters, you walk in time doing the right thing. And guess what happens? God meets you with your faith. And how are we going to do it? Not with some big scheme, but little by little, little by little, little by little. Now, folks, it's my desire as your pastor that all of you would be incredible investors. Incredible investors. But don't think for a moment that what I'm talking about is just money. The greatest investment that has ever been made in the history of the world was when Jesus came to invest in people. Because people matter to God more than anything else. And Jesus invested in some men and some women, and then those men and women invested, and it turned the world upside down. And in three weeks on Easter, we'll celebrate the beginning of the world being changed because of what Christ did as he invested in people. You see, what was most important for Jesus was relationships. And it's my prayer that for those of you that are married, that you would invest in your marriage and you would become rich in it. My prayer for you as your pastor is that you would invest in your children so that you could watch them impact the world in a huge way for the things of God and you would see the richness of God in their lives. I pray that many of you would invest in some friendships and you would get rich in friendships, that you would actually have friends who would have your back and you would have their back. They would lay down their life for you. You would lay down their life. That is true friendship. And it's my prayer that some of you would invest in the church the local church that you would give, you'd work towards a tithe so that we could see the greatest impact in our community. And you would invest in this place called the jar so that in a real way, a very real way, we could love our community, our county, all of East Central Indiana into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because one of the things that we've learned over these four weeks are our four mantras. And what I'd like to do now is for us to say those out loud together, starting in the upper left-hand quadrant, so that it sticks in our mind in the days, weeks, months, years ahead. So are you ready? All right, let's do it. On the count of three, upper left-hand corner, what's it say? Less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, tomorrow matters. Again, Less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, tomorrow matters. One last time. Less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow matters. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would truly speak to each person who is in this auditorium today and those that are on this stream and they would make some changes to honor you more. Now, throughout this series, we've said those four things. Less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, tomorrow matters. 
Now, this is what I'd like you to do for a moment. Open up your eyes, look at the screen. For those of you that are on the stream, you're going to do that right now. And I want you to ask God, God, which of these four do you want me to go after? Not all four, but one of those. Which of those four is God asking you to go after? And whatever that is, that God's Spirit, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come right now, you'd stir in each one of us. Whatever one that is that you would work at. And uh, if you're saying, you know what, I really want to do that. I want that. I want to go after this one thing. No one looking around, just by yourself. If you feel comfortable, I'd invite us all just to close our eyes. I'm going to pray for us. But if there's one of those areas that you want to go after, would you just raise your hand? Say, God, I need your help. I can't do it on my own. I need your help. Help me to do that. Let me pray for you. God, I empower us to change today. God, would you empower us to to make the changes, to give us wisdom on how to handle our finances your way? Maybe for some of you right now, the truth is, is less is more. That's where you struggle at. You've accumulated so much stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff, and you need God's help with that. And if that's you, I pray right now, God, that you would help people to know how to give stuff away. Maybe for others of you right now, you're struggling financially. You know that, oh man, stress is so bad. Financial stress. I feel overwhelmed all the time. And I pray right now that you would have the discipline to stop spending, to know how to humble yourself, to take financial peace or connect with someone and say, how can I change this? And I pray that in time, you'll look back on this day and you'll go, man, I lifted my hand up to God and I said, God, I need help with my financial stress. And he came through in such a huge way. Maybe for others of you, it's giving is good. Giving is good. Jesus said it. It's more blessed to give than receive. And some of you, you're like, yeah, I just don't know that. That seems like a hard thing for me to do. But if you'd take the time to do that, God would help you with that. And so maybe you'd start giving a percentage gift to the local church and to see it increase to move toward a tithe. And some of you, maybe today you're like, nope, I'm going to do it today. I'm going to start tithing today. God has blessed me so much. I'm going to do it. And for others of you, maybe it's tomorrow matters. You've just been living in the now. You have very little saved for tomorrow. And you need that. You need the help of God to help you to do that. And so I pray that God would work in you right now. I don't know what area of that quadrant you need, but I pray right now that God would give each person, God, would you do that strength and perseverance to help and be faithful with the commitment that you've given today of saying, I'm going after one of these areas. God, would you help them to do that for your honor and for your glory? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put your hand up. Now, maybe you're uh, sitting here today, and the truth is, is that you've never thought about tomorrow matters when it comes to your spiritual walk. You've never really thought about that, but the truth is, folks, all of us are going to spend eternity somewhere. We're either going to spend it in the presence of God, or we're going to spend it separated from God. The Bible actually calls this either heaven or hell. And the question is, well, 
What determines how I get to one or the other place? Well, I want you to know what determines it is not based upon your good works. You can't do do a whole bunch of good things and then God's like, oh, that's it. No, 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 no. Uh, What God decided was that we're so messed up, we flubbed up, we screwed up so much that we couldn't do it on our own. We could never have enough good works to get to him. So he came down in the presence of Jesus and Jesus gave his very life to you and I so that we wouldn't have to carry sin anymore and we could have eternity with him because three days later he rose again. We're going to celebrate that in three weeks. And when that happened, he had new life for the very, uh, or we were able to receive new life for the very first time. And maybe today you're like, I don't know if something happens where my tomorrow would be, but today you could do that. Today you could say, I want Jesus in my life. I need his love. I need his grace. I need his second chance. And we're going to give you that opportunity. And you don't have to do this on your own. But we're going to lift up a prayer. We're going to invite everyone to pray it if you feel comfortable. And uh, this could be your day where tomorrow matters enough that I'm going to put a, a stake in the ground that I want Christ in my life. I want him to be the leader of my life, the savior of my life. I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer after me, but it's your prayer. I invite you to repeat it after me. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died and rose again so I could live for him. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today, I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.